0: The radio on, moonlight like falls like rain. Soft summer nights, spent thinking of you. When will I see you again? Soft and low, the music moans. I can't stop thinking about about you
1: Am I sounding okay? Am I sounding good and clear for you?
2: Yeah, and you look great too. All right, so, good enough.
1: All right. Yeah, there you go. I, I'm I'm going to put that compliment in the bank, man.
2: By golly, that that and that and exact change will get you on any bus in Nashville.
1: <laughs> that's that's right here in Chicago too. Um, and that's a that's a famous saying. I have my, my wife hears it all the time. That and two and a quarter will get get you on the bus.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, your time is of the essence. I know you're on tour here, so I've got a brief little introduction, and we'll uh, we'll get into a, uh, a great conversation. On this episode of Playtime, the words and music of England Dan and John Ford Coley with the legendary John Ford Coley. I'm your host, W.C. Turf. So strong, waiting and wondering about you. Our cliche, the soundtrack of our lives. I've had the honor of speaking with a number of artists whose music highlights sublime moments of my life. Martin Barr, David Liebert, Trevor Horn, Terry Kirkman of the Association, friends from the Smithereens, and the great Marshall Crenshaw, to name just a few. Add to that list John Ford Coley, half the magic behind the Grammy-nominated duo, and a great band from the 70s and 80s. England Dan and John Ford Coley the website is johnfordcoley.com welcome man it's uh this is really an honor brother
2: well thank you very much the only thing you left out was the brutally handsome and humble john ford coley that i mean you know that would that would have just clenched it all up
1: you know, you know uh <laughs> cut cut for time but uh, but duly noted brother
2: thank you very much appreciate that <laughs>
1: Uh, you're you're also on tour in, in the middle of a tour. You're calling us from uh, from the road right now.
2: No, actually, uh I leave in about an, as soon as this uh interview is over. I'll be hitting the road and trying oh, okay. to beat the rain. Uh, are you are you driving
1: or flying or tour bus or?
2: No, if I have the opportunity to drive, because I really enjoy bringing my own keyboard because I uh-huh. know what it sounds like and I don't yeah. have to
1: mess with anything.
2: I mean, I'm going to drive if if it's within a 10, 12-hour thing, believe me, I'm jumping in the truck and going, I'm, I'm not going to have to uh, deal with TSA that way.
1: And- <laughs> yeah, you know, good good man. Uh, uh, Martin Barr is is a very good friend and a, and a dear friend of the show. He's been on a number of times, usually in the middle of a tour, uh, and he's 74 years old. He's still driving the van himself, and he wouldn't have it yeah. any other way. Well, you know, there's so
2: many things that you don't get to see when you're flying. You're just in, out. And yeah. I mean, I'm I'm noted for stopping at historical marker signs because I'm quite a history fanatic. So to be able to see the things that you wouldn't ordinarily know about and take, uh-huh. you know, the back roads and stuff like that. It's great.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, right up, right up my alley. I'm, I'm finishing up a book on the history of light for the artist. Uh, and right now I'm, I'm wrapping up, uh, I don't know if there's going to be a second volume, but at least the first volume I'm wrapping up with the uh, with the Renaissance. And uh, so, oh, wow, stuff there. Yeah. But uh, but uh, there there's a there's a significant chapter on uh, on indigenous uh, and uh, and Native American uh, culture and uh, and and that whole uh, that whole history that is largely left untouched in a lot of uh, a lot of our narratives. But uh, but good yeah. on you, man. Good on you. Uh, so so you're starting off from California
2: no I don't live I don't, I don't live gosh
1: California. You're in Nashville. you're in Nashville
2: right? Uh, yeah I I'm mean I left California uh, gosh 25 years ago yeah okay and uh, I've lived in Charleston since then Charleston South Carolina and then also I live outside of Nashville for about mm-hmm. the last 25 years even when I lived in Charleston I still uh, maintained residence here in in uh, Tennessee the heart and soul of music in this country
1: man yep yeah. Sure enough. So I, I have to start here. Only nominated. You never won a Grammy. That does not seem right. A very, very dear friend of mine, Ray Grant, was na- uh, was nominated for a Grammy back in, uh, back in 1994. Uh, he didn't win either, which I thought was highway robbery. Those Grammy people are mean.
2: Well, the thing is, is it depends on who you're up against, too. I think we were up against Chicago. And, uh, gosh, I forget who else was on that thing. But, I mean, I looked at it and went, doggone, man, just to have my name mentioned with some of these other bands. That's that's pretty terrific.
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah. And we're going to get into some of the other bands uh, that you shared the stage with. Uh, you, you also toured with uh, Ambrosia. I did. As a matter of fact, we're playing in two dates, our
2: last two dates in Illinois up in the uh, Plains. Plains. I say yeah. it French. And um, and also Marion. So I'm heading to Marion. We play that tomorrow night. And I play with those guys all the time. Okay. If you've not seen Ambrosia, you're missing something because that's a top-notch band. They they are they're good players.
1: Burley Drummond has been on the show multiple times. And 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 by the way, I can't imagine a better pairing of, of artists. You guys have that that same sort of musical synergy.
2: We do, and I've been playing with those guys since about two thousand. We were in the Philippines yeah. together in Manila, okay. okay. And uh, we just got to be good friends. And again, like you stated, the uh, similar music styles and stuff. We came out around the same time, yeah. although they were not only Grammy nominated. I think they won, but we don't talk about that with no we, no, we don't.
1: No, we don't. But but Grammy nominated is is <laughs> that's 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 still an elite club, man.
2: You know, it's really funny because I had a good friend, Terry Sylvester from the Hollies. Uh-huh. And Holly, he would always say, because again, they were never nominated for that stuff. And so he would say, yes, John Ford Coley, Grammy-nominated guy. <laughs> so he was always ticked about it. Well, now I've got to go rock and roll, Hall of Famer,
1: <laughs> Terry,
2: you know, so it's like we, we just joke with one another back and forth about that.
1: Well, can, can we get a grassroots movement together to uh, uh, to 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 pressure the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, for... I think
2: I don't think those guys succumb to anyone's pressure at all. It's kind of like
1: yeah. they
2: they've got you know. Got I don't know what that algorithm on. is yeah I have no idea either but I mean, you know, there's a lot of great people out there yeah. every time that they put the uh the list up, I go, well, you know i'm I'm pulling for this one and they always pick someone else and mm-hmm. I go ah man, you know
1: I just I just don't pick them like that so I alluded to sublime moments in my life to find my by, by music and uh way back in nineteen seventy nine. Uh, I ran a marathon on a cold December afternoon uh, to stay warm with a buddy uh, who was my ru- my running partner. We focused on the same two songs for almost three and a half hours for that run. And, and I'll have you know that the words to a Little River Band tune reminiscing and Nights Are Forever Without You are imprinted on my soul. Um, <laughs> that's funny. How, How does that song feel to you now, all these years later?
2: Well, you know, it's wonderful to have something stand the test of time. Um uh, now the funny thing about it is that I look at the success that it had, knowing that neither Dan or I wanted to record that song. Uh we thought it was more of a feminine song and they kept, wow. going, No, no, come on, come on, do do just try it, just try it. And we'd go, eh, you know, we really want to write our own songs and, and be known as singer songwriters. Yeah. So they talked us into it. And all of a sudden it takes off and I'm going, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's a <laughs> lot of good writers out there. You're passing up, John. So I really started looking at other people's songs as well, learning how they were writing. Uh, because, again, if you come yeah. back to a place like Nashville, I yeah. don't care what you've written. I don't care how number one songs you've written. This is going to be some 14-year-old that can write you under the table. And to leave
1: that song, <laughs> you know, not doing it, it's not very smart. Well, you know, we, we spoke with uh, with Carla Bonoff, and she wrote a, a number of hit tunes for Linda Ronstadt. Um, but also, Warren Zevon got his start writing for Linda Linda Ronstadt. So there's yeah. a there's a there's a great there's a great and I keep using this word over and over again, but there's a great synergy between uh, between writers and and hit songs and and singers.
2: Oh, absolutely. And again, you know, to pass up a good song is really just not good business sense, number one.
1: Yeah, And as it turned out, it was uh, it was great. It was a classic, just a classic. Yeah. Um,
2: well, somebody like Ronstadt, you know, she didn't write hardly any of her songs. That's right. She would write on other artists. Yeah. Or other writers. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a real kind of slap in the face. I know a couple of years ago I had done... Uh, a song. There was a film called Major League Three: Back to the Minors. and so mm-hmm. I was good friends with the music supervisor, and he called me in to write a song for that uh, for that film. It was yeah. the opening song, yeah. so I did, and I we talked about me doing it, but they were looking for someone that could be on the radio and that time had passed for me so curb records had a bunch of people coming in that were going to sing on these various songs well the guy that sang my song his album was done he's written every song on there but they're looking for the single and all of a sudden my song is the one they want him to sing he's just ticked You know, just just (laughs) furious. So he tries to change the song around. And we went through a whole thing with that. And I went, you know, as as big of a jerk as I think you are, man, I understand where you're (laughs) coming from. You know, you've got every song done on your album. It was all yours. And all of a sudden this Johnny Come Lately comes in and here you go. You're having to do his song. So I get it. Don't, Don't mess with Texas. Well, yeah, I mean, it was really funny because he wasn't singing the song the way that it was written as far as the melody was concerned. So I just told the guy and and he said, don't worry, I'll straighten it out. I'm not happy either. So the next morning, the guy comes in. I'm standing there with a bag of donuts Mm -hmm. and he walks right over to me and he goes, okay, I know this song inside, outside, backwards and forwards. I'm going to sing it John Ford Coley style, but I'm going to use my voice. You okay with that? And I looked at him and I said, nice shirt. (laughs) <laughs> goes well with that chip on your shoulder you know you want a donut wow. and i'm thinking god man i got to get into this before. it's not yeah i haven't even had lunch yet you know and i'm gonna have to deal with this uh-huh. so i mean you know but again there you go i get it
1: so you opened the film door so i'm gonna i'm gonna start here uh, a very dear friend of mine worked with you on a tv pilot eight years ago called caroline dan davies um, yeah do you you remember Dan and and the pilot? I do, and uh, Jill uh, Penskowski as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dan Dan wanted me to to, to wish you his best and uh, and tell you uh, he said hello. So he's well,
2: doggone, that's nice to hear. Tell him hello back.
1: I will. He's still working on on a number of uh, of film projects, and uh, he's now a book publisher. He's got oh, his own wow. publishing company. Yeah, yeah, okay. and, and and we'll we'll get to your book here in just a little bit as well, um, but I, I don't know if many people know that you have some serious acting chops. <laughs> well,
2: it, yeah, <laughs> I mean it was fun. I really loved acting because it's so diametrically opposed to music. Um, you meet such an array of in, interesting characters because yeah. in music when you go on the road. You're stuck with these guys for two and three months sometimes. And yeah. th- within the first 15 minutes, every subject that you can think of, which is very, very short, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's exhaustive. No fashion tips, no jokes and nothing. I mean, none of them could talk about nuclear fission like I wanted to. So you know, it's <laughs> like, I'm joking. But anyway, when you have actors, you have day players. So like two days worth of work, three days a week, maybe they mm-hmm. come in. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're not even there when the principal actors are there. They're doing their stuff. And um, they've always got jokes. So you're constantly getting a new a collection of jokes right. and I, that that was just so much fun I enjoyed uh, that yeah you
1: know, I, I just uh, I just did a review of David uh, David Liebert's book uh who was the the road manager for P-Funk and Alice Cooper and all these rare earth and all these great bands um and he he was talking about being on the road with Alice Cooper and what a cut up everybody was and and what what a fun time it was being around that group of people that it was, oh, it, was I can imagine. Really a, it was really a family dynamic, much like what you're talking about.
2: Well, you also have people that, uh, you know, never got out of Boy Scout camp. Okay. And uh, so they're always pulling pranks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you, you have to watch your back quite a bit. It's kind <laughs>
1: of fun, you know. So I wanted to ask you this uh, while we're while we're on the acting thing. Um, You portrayed a drug dealer on an episode of America's Most Wanted. And I I always wanted to ask uh, someone who was on that show this question. If anyone ever, ever recognized you for the role in in line at the bank or the grocery store and wanted to have you arrested because they thought you were the bad guy.
2: You know, I would have felt probably better about that. (laughs) Thought that I was that instead of Sonny Bono or Jimmy Buffett. You know, oh
1: that's, gosh,
2: that's uh, I, I'd much rather be considered a killer. Than, you,
1: know. you played you played a a, a a dark character in in a film, though, didn't you?
2: Yeah. Well, the thing that was great is that I'm known for comedy kind of stuff. Because yeah. no matter how serious it is, I'm going to turn it into a, a comedic role in some way. As a matter of fact, the first film I was in. I pretty much did that. But because I did it, they kept coming to me and go, here, we're going to do this. You do this now. And and so they kept throwing me lines and stuff to do. Gotcha. And again, I, I just kind of do it in my own style. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they got me one time. They wanted me. They just had extra time. They weren't doing anything. I don't even know if they filmed it. But they had uh, me sitting at the bar. And I'm ordering a drink. And the waitress comes up. And I'm my name was Kenny Bond in the film. So in my mm-hmm. worst British accent, I said, the name's Bond, Kenny Bond. <laughs> and so the, the girl, when I first met her, I said, hi, I'm John. And she looked at me and she said, hi, I'm Hope. And I went. Oh, doggone these! And they're all standing over on the side, Joey Pantaleano and Steve, and they're laughing uh-huh. like crazy because they set me up. <laughs> and I went, "Daddy, I mean, it was a guy, you know? Uh-huh. But you couldn't tell; he just was a little bit bulky. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it was stuff like that. So I wish that they had filmed it because I did the whole. <laughs> oh
1: God! Make it into the film. Uh, you'll you'll be here in Chicago and suburban Chicago this week on Friday. Uh, December sixteenth at the displaying theater or day playing theater um, in French. If you wanna, if you wanna, that's
0: what I've
2: been saying. Everybody goes knows guest plans, and I went, well, okay, maybe in German or something, but you know, not <laughs> not French,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, then January sixth, you're in Baton Rouge, and then on January twentieth, you're at the Seneca Niagara Resort uh, Bear Stand in Na- Niagara Falls, New York. It just had Dennis Daiken on from the, uh, from the, the Smithereens. They were in Chicago, then Milwaukee, then Ohio, which means that they had to cut through back through Chicago to get to Ohio. Either your booking agent also works for the Smithereens or, you know, if you were flying, you'd be racking up some major credit card miles, my friend.
2: Well, absolutely. The thing is, is that actually I'm playing the, Nineteenth in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay. Here with Billy Dean and Tom. Oh, Moore. okay, I mean, okay. I
1: didn't see that on five, the schedule. Right.
2: Yeah. Then five o'clock in the morning, I'm flying to Buffalo, New York, to play the Seneca gig, and then the wow. next morning at five o'clock in the morning, I'm on another plane going to Dallas, Texas. Uh huh. So I mean, you know, I, I can sure people are going to be looking at me, going, "Hey, John, man, how you doing? Nice shirt." And I'm going, go, "Yeah." <laughs> What the hell you mean by that? <laughs> I just want to fight all the time.
1: So You, you end up in uh, in Arlington, Texas, close to home. You and uh, Dan Seals, uh, England Dan Seals, uh, hail from Texas. McCamey, Texas, right? Yeah, he came from
2: McCamey out in West Texas. Okay, okay. Franklin, I think. Yeah. And then I came from Dallas. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was down there this last weekend because I've got a really long history in Texas. Yeah, and did. I had a... Uh, Great 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 grandfather that was a founder of a was one of the founders of a little town called Bastrop. It was called Mina at the time. Uh-huh. it's about twenty five miles southeast of Austin. Yeah, and I know it, exactly. Okay, so anyway, his house from 1850 is still there. And the and the lady wow. that owned it had me come down and we went through the house. It was a parade of homes, you know, some of the older homes yeah, that I was yeah. supposed to spend the night. But uh-huh. something happened, so I didn't get to do it. But I mean, you know, having that kind of history, and then I came from Dallas. That's where my general family was.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, I mean, I go down to Dallas all the time. I've it's got okay.
1: uh, I, 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 we, I've got some uh, some fans uh, in Arlington, as a matter of fact. Uh, but I've I've got family all over Texas, and okay. uh, and my my great grandparents on my mom's side. Um, settled in Texas back in the uh, 1800s and and early 1900s. So um, Texas, man.
2: Well, yeah. Well, it used to be Texas. It's kind of like it used to be Tennessee. But so many people (laughs) are coming, and it's just not what it was at one time. It's a mixture of everything. So so.
1: (laughs) McCamey, and Dallas are not even close together. Not even close. Uh, McCamey's off of – Sixty-seven. It's uh, out uh, out out west, right? Uh, on the, yeah, the it's west, west Texas. Yeah. How did Here you guys talk. meet?
2: Dan and I actually went to high school together. Yeah, we did. didn't know one another in high school. Yeah. But uh, he was in a band, and then they had a guitar player drop out. So the other guitar player and everybody else wanted a um, uh, a keyboard player, and Dan wanted another guitar player. The Playboys Five. Yo, know, we well we didn't get along. I mean, he did not want yeah. me in the band. He wanted another guitar player, uh-huh. and then we would kind of drive to various gigs together, and we'd kind of, you know, do Everly Brothers and Righteous Brothers and sing like that. And we just kind of discovered that we had a natural blend over the years. Dan and I got to be closer than brothers,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah. So the two of you formed um, Southwest FOB. Can can we expect? Uh, John Ford Coley to hear any Southwest FOB songs on this tour uh, and a follow-up to that. How long do you intend to keep milking that gravy train?
2: Well, you know, <laughs> I, like, I like to go. I mean, seriously, uh-huh. I, I just, I'm i known for just jumping in the truck taking off. I, I had my kids call me one time. And they said, dad, where are you? We haven't seen your truck in a couple of days. And I uh-huh. said, I think I'm somewhere in Maryland. I'm not for sure. And they said, what are you doing in Maryland? And I said, I don't know yet. I hadn't figured it out. (laughs) I'll stop somewhere along here.
1: I made a right turn and kept going.
2: Yeah. And and I'm known for doing that. And my daughter is the same way. She just jumps in the car and goes.
1: And and I I kind of made light of Southwest FOB, but... That was a serious band, man. Uh, I, the wife and I were listening to it in the uh, in the car this morning when I was taking her to work. And Her first reaction, by the way, was yeah. we were listening. We, we started off listening to tomorrow because okay. you know I'm 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 going over everything I'm going to say to you. And one of the things that that you know I I was going to bring up, but I still will, is that tomorrow of all the songs on that album, really sort of introduced us to to the future England Dan and John Ford Coley
0: and I know the
2: was that Dan and I were kind of toying with it at that point but we okay. hadn't decided to leave the band yet yeah and, um, I mean there, there was a bunch of those kinds of songs again you know it's very blacklight and parachute kind of music it's uh, psychedelic stuff but I mean everything was a growing for me at that particular yeah. time so we yeah. opened for Led Zeppelin and Three Dog Night and Three and Dog Night yeah players. in all a high school guys. yeah I mean that was cool it really was
1: so uh, i i ha- i have to ask you this um that album jacket featured four beautiful and very naked women uh Absolutely. modestly posed but that that would seem for for an 18 year old young man that would seem like a photo shoot that you would insist on being there for
2: well yeah unfortunately they just sent it to us and when we got the the album I remember our manager, who was actually the guitar player's father, stepfather, he looked at me because, again, I came from a very religious upbringing. And Uh he said, well, John, he said, they're not going to be showing that in your Sunday school class. Yeah. I went, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's fine with me. I mean. But how did so how did your parents
1: uh, what what did your parents think about uh, maybe maybe not the cover, but. But the album itself, it was a really well produced album.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. well, again, you know, they
2: were just as Because nobody ever expected us to go anywhere. Yeah. And I was out playing. And you know, my parents were very, very religious, but Mm -hmm. they were very, very open. They weren't condemnatory. Oh, that's crazy. And so I became open in that same way. If somebody comes up and tells me something, I'm not gonna go, well, you should have you, you big, you know, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, like okay, fine. So I'm out playing for all these frat parties where everybody's drunk i played for strippers for quite a long time in the band
0: uh-huh. they
2: never said a word it was kind of like okay we we'll just you know try to make it to church on sunday you know okay all night. And, and and i mean it's for
1: forgiveness it and so cool yeah you know that, and that's brilliant yeah you you had a single off off of that album smell of incense uh, which was a cover of of the West Coast pop uh, art experimental band, this right. uh, this it was a zombies-esque piece. It was it was a vast improvement over over the the original. the The original was was a little was a little dreary and kind of underproduced and a little muddled.
0: Stone, she stood on the edge of my mind. I tried to push her away.
1: You guys really sparked it up. Um, it's got this great timeless retro magic, reminiscent of "Loves Alone Again" um, or Nick, Drink's, uh, Nick Drake's "Pink Moon." Why, why choose that as as the one cover on the on the album? We thought
2: that it was a great song, number one. Uh-huh. Uh, we had played with those guys, uh, a place called okay. Lou Anne's in Dallas. Now, the funny thing about that is that one night I was talking with Jimmy Greenspoon from Three Dog Night. Uh uh-huh. He was the organ player. Uh-huh. And Jimmy and I had become friends over the years. And so we were just kind of running down one another's musical history. And I said, Yeah, you know, I was in this band back in Texas and we had this song called uh, Smell of Incense. And he went, What? What? Wait, wait a minute. Were you the guys that did the cover on that song? And wow. I said, oh, Yeah, how do you know about this song? And he said, John, I was the keyboard player in, in the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band.
1: Oh, man. And I went,
2: you kidding me? So you just kind of keep touching sh- elbows with people all the yeah, time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, what boy? What a what a small world. But but you really you really up the ante on that song with that with that keyboard riff. And it was yeah. it, it just it just makes it pop. And and again, it it really has this timeless retro quality that just makes it uh, an exceptional song.
0: Shadows of stone She stood on the edge of my mind I tried to push her away I shut and locked the door Her eyes grew large and asking And the smell of incense fills her room
2: Well, thank you very much. I mean, we we went for a long time off of that, and it was a great opening door for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you just a little bit of other history too. We ended up on Stax Records with okay. that, and that was just that was all Black music, you know, Green Green Onions and uh, Booker T and the MGs, all all yeah. these kind of. Curtis Redding. Well, there was this the label that they put us on was mm-hmm. a subsidiary of Stax, and it was called Hip. And there was one other group on that label, and they were a group called the Nobody Else. Well, they became known later on as Black Oak, Arkansas. Right, right. So you, know, it's like you go, wow, that's <laughs> pretty interesting.
1: It's very interesting. Who had the idea? And and this this I promise will be the last time. Uh, the the last question about uh, Southwest FOB. Uh, but who had the idea for that great drum interlude uh, drum and bass interlude in in the middle and, and I'm I, I just threw a blank oh, on this it's called in another thing thank you thank you very much yeah. Yeah. And, and it's almost it's almost a 12 minute jam but boy for a, a a seasoned age group that would be that would be a tough thing to pull off and you guys nailed it
2: well, what happened was we had a new drummer in the band. His name was uh, Tony Durrell. Okay. He wanted to be called Zeke. So we called him Zeke. <laughs> and, uh, and we're sitting there recording that song because it was all done live. Well, he's a little cantankerous. Okay, And uh, he just kind of ducked his head and kept playing and kept playing and we continued to try to get his attention to drop back into the, you know, the mm-hmm. downbeat riff mm-hmm. and he just kept ignoring us. <laughs> <So, laughs> wow. It just goes on like a six minute drum solo or something for him. Yeah, it's
1: a three, a, a little, a little shy of three and a half minutes.
2: Jeez, my goodness. He just kept going. But it works.
1: So, well, yeah. <laughs> what do you do?
2: And he did a hell of a job. Yeah. Well I think he was in some kind of a stupor or something. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You had your first uh, your first hit single with uh, England Dan and John Ford Coley with uh, with Simone how, how did that song come together for you guys
0: Simone, why do you cry don't you know your tears Do you cry? Don't you know the sun will shine? And on your mirrored soul you find reflections good. Ooh, I said you would. You've been searching everywhere for something. It's never there.
2: Actually, it was a song that Dan and I wrote, mm-hmm. and surprisingly enough, it was a song that they used in the HBO series Vinyl, where they had the two guys uh, pretending to be Dan and I, two actors, singing in the studio, mm-hmm. and that song was nothing here in the states but in international market was number one in japan and france and you know a couple of other places internationally but we couldn't get arrested here wow so i mean we we were we were happy about it all
1: it's just it's a it's a great it's a really powerful song it it it, it, it's it has great hooks uh great melody and and it's 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 a full song yeah oh yeah it really is,
2: and I haven't played that song in years either. But um, because again, one of the things that happened with me was that I never had enough material to play, mm-hmm. and so we're always struggling to get you know something else in there. Yeah. And uh, now I've got so many songs that I'm struggling to figure out which ones I want to play. <laughs> uh,
1: a, a wealth of riches, man. Um, was it was it a challenge writing music? as a duet because you're both you were both very strong strong songwriters
2: uh actually for the longest time dan and i wrote everything together and what we did not write together we said the other one wrote it so there's songs wow. that have dan's name on them that uh-huh. he didn't have anything to do with and songs that i have my name on that i had nothing to do with okay and uh, we just kind of did like a uh a beatles sort of approach to it to where mccartney and lennon just virtually wrote everything yeah. uh, whether they wrote it or not
1: that speaks really strongly of that that brotherhood relationship that <laughs> uh, that you spoke about with uh between you and uh and dan
2: Dan was a very prolific writer. He had a lot of good ideas. As a matter of fact, when, when we started out, Dan mm-hmm. was the writer pretty much, and I came in on that. Uh, as far as singing was concerned, I knew Dan had such a powerful voice. There was no way that I was ever going to meet it or top it or even get close to it, but Dan uh-huh. couldn't do harmony. So I took care of all the harmonies. Even when I would sing, a lead on a, on a song i also did the harmony on it so it sounded like a different group yeah if you if you hear the third album i'm about to release the third album that dan and i did for AM records that was never released they took some of the songs off of it and and made an album called uh, i hear the music okay but that was it was mostly unreleased so there's a couple of songs I sang more than I had sung before Mm -hmm. and I'm listening to it going gosh man this it really is it's two different groups when I sing
1: Kelly and John Ford Coley, uh, you did a song, Let's Go to the Movies, which initially, when I first heard it many years ago, I hated it. Then I got married and I grew up. And and now it's such a great song. It's so fun and so bright. And I, I think that's what I was reacting to, was I was in this, this kind of negative, darker period of my life uh, when it came out. But um, talk about time with with Leslie and Kelly, who were sisters, right?
2: They were sisters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was engaged to Leslie,
1: uh-huh.
2: and uh, that pretty much cemented any kind of relationship that I would ever have with anybody else that was a musician. Uh huh. It ain't gonna happen, uh-huh. you know, because if you're in the middle of battling on a song. And trying to get everything right, and five o'clock comes, and it's time to call it. But you know what? The battle continues on into the evening. Yeah. And uh, I went no, I'm um, no, and there, there. I found out that there's nothing that you can talk about. One yeah. of the things that I really hate to talk about, and I would be this way with musicians all the time, uh-huh. is uh, music. They want to talk about who did this and who did that. And I'd go, you know what? Oh, that's interesting, but I really don't care. I would rather talk about, you know, like I said, medicine or, or something. I, mean, I was an English lit student, so I was reading all the time. And, and nice. those are the subjects that I'd really rather get into.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, it, it was really kind of funny. I can be an odd duck. I get it.
1: You guys had some great, great songs. Uh, classics like I'd Really Love to See You Tonight, Soldier in the Rain, We'll Have to Say Goodbye Again, Love is the Answer, and personal favorites, uh, Western Wind, and this one, Dowdy Fairy Road, which is a really great song. It must have been a blast to play that song. I remember when I was a child My daddy said to me We want you
0: to grow up, son Loving your mom and me but there's gonna be hard times When you're bound to the low And there's a place of jubilation Where the ragged people go It's over on the back road On the other side of town In the quiet of the evening Sometimes you can hear the sound We'd all sit and listen Mama said, baby, don't you know? That's the people's jubilation on Dowdy Fairy Road. Singing it on the car, dancing in the street, moving to the music, to the cheek to cheek.
2: Well, yeah, it was really funny about that song. Dan wrote that. Uh huh. And, um, Dan and I used to go down to Dowdy Fairy Road. Uh huh still a big prominent sign when you come off the 75 or not 75 which one it is going to austin and uh we would we would 35
1: 35
2: 35 so we'd we'd shoot at water moccasins and uh there and i didn't mind taking out water moccasins you know it's not like they're (laughs) in danger or anything like that (laughs) i almost got bit by one so um that, that song came out of him. And then I actually wrote a sequel to it on the Eclectic album called Cottonmouth Grove. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's really kind, of, it kind of interesting. But, but having a lot of those songs, it was just such a blessing. I tell everyone the same thing, is that at some point, God just kind of reached down and kissed us on the head. Because there are people that can play me and sing me under the table. And they never made it. And why they didn't make it and we did just beats the heck out of me. So I'm very thankful for it all.
1: Do you do you ever ponder that question late at night? I've,
2: I've actually stopped doing that yeah. when I came to the conclusion that there's no such thing as coincidences. I yeah. don't believe so there's a reason why this happened for you. It didn't happen for somebody else. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were asking me one time. Uh, they did a, they did a uh, documentary on Richie Fury from uh, Buffalo Springfield and Poco yeah. and all those groups and, and stuff. And the guy said, did you ever wonder why Richie didn't have the kind of success that, that others did? And I went, you know what? That Richie was one of the hardest working people. I have mm-hmm. known in my life, he was dedicated to it. He was always coming up with new stuff, starting new groups. How Souther Hillman-Furley is involved and in why he never hit it on the level that I would expect him to hit, I don't know. I, it baffles me. I don't know.
1: But, uh, I, you know. I'd say a great philosophical question rather than an analytical question. How about that? Because it it depends upon where you are at a particular moment. Looks, sound, personality, things hit when they hit. When when
2: they're supposed to hit, you can't stop it. Yeah. That's the whole deal.
1: Yeah. Children of the Half Light bridges the gap between country and rock um, beautifully with these Kansas-like uh, undertones that was off your last studio album i believe um, yeah I I, I, i'd love i'd love to know a little bit more about how that song came together because you guys do have a social consciousness to your songs and, and i'll touch on on holocaust here in, in a little bit but i'd love to know about children of the half-life
2: Gundry and I wrote that song, and I was I was moving more classical, more big chords. Yeah, uh, Dan was moving more country at that particular time, so we were kind of moving a, away from one another musically, and um, Dan's kind of thing won out because I mean you know the the chicks in classical music are a whole lot different than the chicks that are in rock and roll, you know. <laughs> yes, they are. So, uh, it, uh, that was kind of a funny deal, but it, that also was a time period when Dan and I were both in this religion. And so it kind of reflected some of that uh, content.
1: Uh-huh. And,
2: um, but again, I mean, you know, I, Lee Sklar, who played with James Taylor and Carol King and all these other people, well-known yeah. musician, Toto, and, and uh, he, he played on that song on bass. And he made mention of it on one of his shows one time. and I thought, wow, man that's been what forty years ago and you was that, that
1: was that you on the Hammond on the uh, at, at the at the beginning at the opening? uh yes okay mm-hmm. wow that was that, that was that was great that was great um, yeah. so uh, you, you spoke you. about classical and Holocaust begins with this beautiful classical opening. One of these really positive, uplifting, socially conscious songs um, that isn't isn't really indicative of a lot of Holocaust-related songs, even though I, I, I could probably I could probably count the number of those on one hand. I just wrote the foreword to a 94-year-old uh, for a 94-year-old uh, Chicago artist's book. Leo Segedin is his name, uh, who still works every single day so there's hope for us john um oh, absolutely. And, and he as i said he's he's publishing uh, a book of his work uh having to do with um with the uh with the holocaust he's going to have a big nature show here in, in the chicago suburbs what was the inspiration for that song
0: has come when all of us have to give something for the all of us and we can turn back a holocaust and we can live and live everywhere it seems very clear There's a reason, a reason why we all are here. If we believe that the world is one, we can live and live.
2: Well, again, I've studied uh, the Holocaust or the Shoah for for so many years. Most people think I'm Jewish. Uh, I study in the synagogues all the time. I'm a believer, but I've been in the synagogues for uh-huh. such a long time. And uh, so, again, knowing people that were Holocaust survivors, people that were uh, children of Holocaust survivors, yeah. you get a different understanding. Plus, I've read and read and read and watched films and, and everything else. It, it's yeah. just you know been, been to Bad yashem and... Um, uh, Jerusalem. Oh, good. And and studying that, it it just it it boggles my mind. It, it just is something that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. And so then to be able to say something about it, because again, people forget their memories about as long as their fingernails in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
2: and so they forget what happened here, how that happened, all the unforgotten stories, and it was just thing of saying look guys we're right on the uh, you know the precipice of repeating this whole thing
1: yes yeah. and I yeah. had actually
2: written on, on the eclectic CD that I did uh, j- just a couple years ago there's one song on there called Quiet Victory mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: it's an instrumental and that instrumental actually was from a piece that I had read about a man that was at Auschwitz. And he would wake up every morning, and he was alive, and he would say, I won. Wow. Every day he woke up, it would be, I won. And I thought, man, this is just like a quiet victory. And so that instrumental came out of that.
1: It's 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 a brilliant song. It's short, um, and, and like I said, it, it's it's uplifting. It's got this it's got this hopeful tone to it that is just is just spectacular. Um,
2: well, the funny thing about it is that you know I don't get into politics. I mean, I've got my own
1: politics, and
2: yeah. normally disagree with everybody else. <laughs> So I, I just don't I don't talk about those things on stage at all yeah. yeah. things that are controversial when people come to hear me play they they're looking to go down memory lane and yeah. I tell a lot of stories and jokes and and stuff like that because again that's what they've come to hear they didn't come yeah. to to be preached at cuz yeah. I don't like it yeah and so we just have an enjoyable time.
1: But you, I mean, you also have have, have a musical style, and and so I, I would think writing writing a dirge about about uh, an event would be uh, would be like a dead weight in the middle of of a great library of music. So so you found you found a way to speak about something uh, important to you. Um, in a way that that also worked um, beautifully with your music, with your musical Absolutely. style. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, music for me is something that's supposed to uplift you. Yeah, I know. I tell mm. a lot of stories and then write depressing songs, but
1: you know, still, I, I'm yet to hear one here, brother.
2: It, it, well, it's yeah. I've got I've got my uh, I've got my dark <laughs> side, you know, <laughs> but. It's still something that is supposed to inspire people. When you uh, yeah. when you come out and you hear stuff, the last thing that I want you to do is walk out and say, "Oh man, that was really a bummer.
1: <laughs> That's True. Uh, so I uh, laugh
2: a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, see see all sides of life. Aside from uh, the Southwest uh, FOB block, uh, what can, what can folks expect to hear in your set?
2: Well, actually, again, Dan and I had what I call the six and those are the, the four top tens and two top twenties. Okay. Uh, So I always play those Uh, on this particular show. Ambrosia is going to come out and play a couple of songs with us. They, um, or play, play with me. Nice. Uh, they wanted this to kind of be built a Christmas kind of a show, a holiday show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I hate Christmas songs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate them. I've been playing them since I was, you know, before the womb, I think. And so I'm bored with them. So I picked about three songs that i can make a little joke out of it with All and right. then i was going to do angels from the realms of glory which they had asked me to do a couple of years ago so i recorded that but uh more than that you know you're just gonna you're gonna hear things like westward wind i play westward Wind," nice. and um
1: just tell a lot of stories Wonderful, wonderful. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share some thoughts about your partner of many, many years, England Dan Seals, um, and what a hole his passing left music in the world.
2: Yeah, Dan, I love Dan. Dan Dan was a good guy. We went together together. Uh, you know, through school and went together through the band. I went through his marriages. He went through mine. We helped raise one another's kids, traveled the world together. Wow. Uh, we just, we had a good relationship. There was a period of time at the end of the career that a lot of other people got involved in our career, which actually put a wedge between us. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when Dan passed away, it was, I talked to him the night before and it was just Danny and John, you know, it's yeah. none of the nonsense and stupidity that went on is Dan was like my brother. And, um, I remember him that way. So I don't have any battles that I'm fighting in the shower, you know, yeah. all these yeah. years later. It's like, no, it's mm-hmm. a done deal. I love Dan. It, we, we were friends. So and
1: and what a, what a blessing. I mean, it, it, it's a tragedy anyway, you look at it, but, it's always a blessing when you get to say uh, you get to say goodbye to to someone who was passing. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's there's just a, there's a comfort level. My my, my parents uh, both passed very suddenly, and and I the the last conversation we had were were you no know, these little family arguments, these little these little you know squabbles, but it it always it always leaves that that sort of lasting angst, and uh, it, it's it's just such a blessing. You, you you take your blessings anywhere you can find them in those moments, right?
2: You definitely do. And the thing is, is that most of the times, the things that we fight over, you know, we, we make this life a whole lot harder than it has to be.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I just don't get into stuff with people anymore. If you want to believe the world is fat, flat, knock
1: yourself out. <laughs>
2: I don't, I don't particularly care. Just do what you want to do, and it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, just be a good person. Uh, you also uh, last last quick uh, quick thing here. You wrote an autobiography entitled "Backstage Pass," which talks about your journey in the music business. Normally, I I would have read everything about you, but this conversation sort of fell into my lap here in the last second, and I uh, I just couldn't pass. Uh, pass up the chance to speak with each other. Perhaps uh, we'll we'll have another chance, and uh, we can discuss the book and uh, and take a oh, deeper the, the dive. The
2: book it. the book is short. I mean, it's really. I tell everybody yeah. that I hear it's funny. I haven't read it myself, but uh, I hear that it's funny. I only wrote it, uh-huh. and uh, it's just it's a lot of short stories. It's not about drug, sex, and rock and roll. It's just about the ridiculous, insane things that would occur on the road. <laughs> And I laugh a lot and I'm still gathering stories all the time simply because funny things happen to me on a continual basis. So you're, you're I, living life, a life, life man. to me is funny. Life is funny.
1: Yeah, you're 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 living a life. You're a uh, you're a driver, not a spectator.
2: Yeah, I don't like being a spectator. Uh, I did. No. Sorry. That's just not what <laughs> I enjoy. <doing. laughs>
1: any uh, any new music on the horizon?
2: Yeah, I've got some new things that I'm going to be doing. Uh, uh, Mainly when I do these things now, I just sell them on the website or I sell them at the concerts. And, uh, you know, you're never going to get on radio again or have any of those kinds of deals. Although I did play the Grand Ole Opry for the first time about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. That was a real thrill because, again, you know, I had family. Uh, Minnie Pearl was a distant relative of mine.
1: Wow.
0: I'm a going hunting, got my shotgun in my hand. But I ain't hunting rabbits, I'm hunting for a man. Done bought myself a license and the first thing that I treat will end up either getting shot or coming home with me. It's hunting season, hunting season. Be so glad. I ain't too particular and don't know
2: what I'll find. I'm just looking for a man with love We I, did, I could feel that woman coming up through oh. the uh the circle, wow. you know. And I walked out because again, I, I I don't get nervous. I've played so many things, I just don't get touched by it at all. I'm hard mm-hmm. to react. But I was walking around the grand old opera just as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof i just sit still and so uh the person that played before bill anderson was uh uh, oh gosh uh, smith connie smith Mm -hmm. and connie had done one of the songs that dan and i had written years ago so i got to talk with her for a little bit before i went on but then i'm watching bill anderson who had been someone that I grew up with uh, watching him play on the stage. And then he walked off and we stood there and acknowledged one another and talked for a couple of seconds. And I'm shaking hands with him. Mm-hmm. And then they call my name. And I walked out on stage. And again, I drop into, to, uh, uh, to just automatic mode.
0: Yeah.
2: And so I walked out and I'm standing on that circle and I told everybody in the audience, I went, "Dang, I just shook hands with Bill Anderson on the side of the stage," and I'm marveling at all the people that are there. You know, John Conley and and and, and these other people, Ricky Skaggs. Yeah. Wow! And I'm thinking, "Wow, to be able to play on the same stage and on the same show with uh-huh. these people, what a uh-huh. thrill!"
1: That's incredible. So, That's
2: well you will always so, have so, so what i'm saying is yeah. that those things haven't stopped that's they right. continue to go on
1: that's right that, and and that that feeling that excitement uh even even if it's if if it's anxiety and a little bit of nervousness uh which which kind of has to, has to feel for for an entertainer someone someone who who lives for the rush of the stage that has to be powerful feeling
2: it truly is because one thing about being on the stage is that you've done it before and you can yeah. go into automatic pilot sometimes mm-hmm. but You also get the challenge of every night is different. There's people out Mm -hmm. there that have never seen you before. So you have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to play for them for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, the songs are always different. I've I've been asked numerous times, am I tired of playing those songs that we had really love to see tonight Who loves the answer? And the answer is always no. I'm not tired of playing them. Of course, I never listen to them if they come on the radio, (laughs) but I'll turn it right off. And the reason why is because it's always the same. They're never different. There's never any variation. Same speed, same lick, same everything. Now, when I play live, hey, there's a lot of leeway.
1: You You notice I never asked you that question uh, because – I I know the answer to that because, you know, I've talked to so many people, so many artists who are known for uh, for classic songs and they always get a rush off of playing the song, off the appreciation for the song, off the history for the song, off off the energy of the audience. So I never I would never make that mistake.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's a legitimate question because again, I mean, one night I was playing with Elton John back. He took us to England for a month with him, and okay. he didn't play border song, and I loved border song. Yeah, and when he came off, I said, "You didn't play border song." He said, "Yeah, I'm tired of it. I'll pick it up again." And I thought, "Oh, okay." So we would learn all of these little tricks from all these people that we had played with, for,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Grammy nominated John Ford Coley is best known as half of the great duet, England Dan and John Ford Coley. The website is johnfortcoley.com for Southwest FOB groupies. Cannot guarantee that any of those songs will find their way into, into John's current set, but with hits like I'd Really Love to See You Tonight, we'll never have to say goodbye again, and nights are forever without you. You just can't go wrong. The website again is John Ford Coley. John, this was magic it it was great you you were you were were wonderful and uh and and thank thank you um you know when when i knew you were from texas i knew we were going to have a great conversation
2: (laughs) absolutely we got a lot to talk about in that category
1: we do we do And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again in the future in the meantime have a great tour man
2: thank you so much i appreciate you letting me come on the show
1: all right brother i'll talk to you again very soon Wow what a great conversation with John Ford Coley I'd really like to thank him for joining me on the program today and thanks to all of you who tune in if you like this program please feel free to share it and don't forget to hit the subscribe button for notifications on all of our future programs For playtime I'm WC Turk It's
0: been such a long time and a really Could go walking through Windy Park, take a drive along the beach, or stay at home and watch TV and see it really doesn't matter much to me. I'm not talking. See you tonight. I won't ask for promises, so you don't have to lie. We've both played that game before. Say I love you. I really love to see you tonight. I'm not talking about moving in, and I don't want to change.